Welcome to Pod Bless Robert Mueller, a translation for Texans. Report on the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election, Volume 1, Section 4. Brought to you by the same folks that brought you Pod Bless Texas. So, this particular episode um, does not have Lillian Salerno with me. She has fallen asleep on the couch, and I am going to continue reading through this sucker. So, we're in section four. I'm going to try to do it in one episode, but this is by far the longest section. So, um, here we go. Four. Russian government links to and contacts with the Trump campaign. The office identified multiple contacts, links, in the words of the appointment order, between Trump campaign officials and the individuals with ties to the Russian government. The office investigated whether those contacts constituted a third avenue of attempted Russian interference with or influence on the 2016 presidential election. In particular, the investigation examined whether these contacts involved or resulted in coordination or conspiracy with the Trump campaign in Russia, including with respect to Russia providing assistance to the campaign in exchange for any sort of favorable treatment in the future. Based on the available information, the investigation did not establish such coordination. This section describes the principal links between the Trump campaign and individuals with ties to the Russian government, including some contacts with the campaign officials or associates that have been publicly reported to involve Russian contacts. Each subsection begins with an overview of the Russian contact at issue and then describes in detail the relevant facts which are generally presented in chronological order, beginning with the early months of the campaign and extending through the post-election transition period. A. Campaign period. September 2015 to November 8, 2016. Russian government-connected individuals and media entities began showing interest in Trump's campaign in the months after he announced his candidacy in June 2015. Because Trump's status as a public figure at the time was attributable in large part to his prior business and entertainment dealings, this office investigated whether a business contact with Russia linked individuals and entities during the campaign period, the Trump Tower Moscow Project, led or involved coordination of election assistance. Outreach from individuals with ties to Russia continued in the spring and summer of 2016 when Trump was moving toward and eventually becoming the Republican nominee for president. As set forth below, the office also evaluated a series of links during the period, outreach to two of Trump's then-recently-named foreign policy advisors, including a representation that Russia had dirt on Clinton in the form of thousands of emails, dealings with D.C.-based think tank and specializes in Russia and has connections with its government, A meeting at Trump Tower between the campaign and Russian lawyer promising dirt on the candidate Clinton that was part of Russia and its government support for Trump. Post-convention contacts between Trump campaign officials and Russia's ambassador to the United States and contacts through campaign chairman Paul Manafort, who had previously worked for a Russian oligarch at a pro-Russian political party in Ukraine. 1. Trump Tower Moscow Project The Trump Organization has pursued and completed projects outside the United States as part of its real estate portfolio. 
Some of the projects have involved the acquisition and ownership through subsidiary corporate structures of property. In other cases, the Trump Organization has executed licensing deals with real estate developers and management companies, often local to the country where the project was created. Between at least 2013 and 2016, the Trump Organization explored a similar licensing deal with Russia involving the construction of a Trump-branded property in Moscow. The project, commonly referred to as Trump Tower Moscow, or Trump Moscow Project, anticipated a combination of commercial, hotel, and residential properties all within the same building. Between 2013 and June 2016, several employees of the Trump Organization, including then-president of the organization Donald J. Trump, pursued a Moscow deal with several Russian counterparties. From fall of 2015 until the middle of 2016, Michael Cohen spearheaded the Trump Organization's pursuit of a Trump Tower Moscow project, including by reporting on the project's status to candidate Trump and other executives in the Trump Organization. A. Trump Tower Moscow Venture with the Crocus Group. Crocus. Crocus. Crocus Group. 2013 to 2014. The Trump Organization and the Krokus Group, a Russian real estate conglomerate owned and controlled by R.S. Aglarov, Agalarov, 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 began discussing a Russian-based real estate project shortly after the conclusion of the 2013 Miss Universe pageant in Moscow. Donald J. Trump Jr. served as the primary negotiator on behalf of the Trump Organization. Amin Agalarov, son of Aras Agalarov, and Arakali Ike Kavladazi represented the Krakus Group during negotiations with the occasional assistance of Robert Goldstone. In December of 2013, Kavladazi and Trump Jr. negotiated and signed preliminary terms an agreement for Trump Tower Moscow project. On December 23, 2013, after discussions with Donald J. Trump, the Trump Organization agreed to accept the arrangement whereby the organization receives a flat 3.5% commission on all sales with no licensing fees or incentives. The parties negotiated a letter of intent during January and February of 2014. From January 2014 through November 2014, the Trump Organization and Krokus Group discussed development plans for the Moscow Project. Sometime before January 24, 2014, the Krokus Group sent the Trump Organization a proposal for an 800-unit, 194-meter building to be constructed at an Agalarov-owned site in Moscow called Krokus City, which had also been the site of the Miss Universe pageant. In February 2014, Ivanka Trump met with Amin Agalarov and toured the Krakus City site during the visit to Moscow. During March 2014 through July 2014, the groups discussed design standards and other architectural elements. For example, in July 2014, members of the Trump Organization sent Krakus Group counterparties questions about the demographics of these prospective buyers in the Krakus City area, the development of neighboring parcels in Krakus City, and concepts for redesigning portions of the building. 
In August 2014, the Trump Organization requested specifications for a competing Marriott-branded tower being built in Crocus City. Beginning in September 2014, the Trump Organization stopped responding in a timely fashion to correspondence and proposals from the Crocus Group. Communications between the two groups continued through November 2014 with decreasing frequency. What appears to be the last communication is dated November 24, 2014. The project appears not to have developed past the planning stage and no construction occurred. B. Communications with IC Expert Investment Company and Georgi Ritsk. I'm not even going there. R-T-S-K-H-I-L-A-D-Z-E. We're going to call him the R-Man. Summer and Fall 2015. In the late summer of 2015, the Trump Organization received a new inquiry about pursuing a Trump Tower project in Moscow. In approximately September 2015, Felix Sater, a New York-based real estate advisor, contacted Michael Cohen, then Executive Vice President of the Trump Organization and Special Counsel to Donald J. Trump. Sater had previously worked with the Trump Organization and advised it on a number of domestic and international projects. Sater had explored the possibility of a Trump Tower project in Moscow while working with the Trump Organization and therefore knew of the organization's general interest in completing a deal there. Sater had also served as an informal agent of the Trump Organization in Moscow previously and had accompanied Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump Jr. to Moscow in the mid-2000s. Sater contacted Cohen on behalf of IC Expert Investment Company, IC Expert, a Russian real estate development corporation controlled by Andrei Vladimitrovich Razov. Sater had known Razov since approximately 2007 and in 2014 had served as an agent on behalf of Razov during Razov's purchase of a building in New York City. Sater later contacted Razov and proposed that IC Expert pursue a Trump Tower Moscow project in which IC Expert would license the name and brand from the Trump Organization but construct the building on its own. Sater worked on the deal with Razov and another employee of IC Expert. Cohen was the only Trump Organization representative to negotiate directly with IC Expert or its agents. In approximately September 2015, Cohen obtained approval to negotiate with IC Expert from candidate Trump, who was then president of the Trump Organization. Cohen added updates directly to Trump about the project throughout 2015 and into 2016, assuring him that the project was continuing. Cohen also discussed the Trump Moscow project with Ivanka Trump as to design as to design elements, such as possible architects to use for the new project, and Donald Trump Jr. about his experience in Moscow and possible involvement in the project during fall of 2015. Also during the fall of 2015, Cohen communicated about the Trump Mas- Moscow project with Georgi Argman. We're just calling him Arman because I cannot pronounce that. The R-Man, a business executive who previously had been involved in a development deal with the Trump Organization in Batumi, Georgia. Cohen stated that he spoke with R-Man in part because R-Man had pursued business ventures in Moscow, including a licensing deal with Aragolov-owned Crocus Group. 
On September 22, 2015, Cohen forwarded a preliminary design study for the Trump Moscow project to our man, adding, I look forward to your reply about this spectacular project in Moscow. Our man forwarded Cohen's email to an associate and wrote, if we could organize the meeting in New York at the highest level of the Russian government and Mr. Trump, this project would definitely receive the worldwide attention. On September 24, 2015, our man sent Cohen an attachment that he described as a proposed letter to the mayor of Moscow from Trump Org, explaining that we need to send this letter to the mayor of Moscow, second guy in Russia. He is aware of the potential project and tr- and will pledge his support. In a second email to Cohen sent the same day, our man provided a translation of the letter, which described the Trump Moscow project as a symbol of stronger economic, business, and cultural relationships between New York and Moscow, and therefore United States and the Russian Federation. On September 27, 2015, our man sent another email to Cohen proposing that the Trump Organization partner with the Trump Moscow Project with Global Development Group LLC, which he described as being controlled by Mikhail Posikin, a Russian architect, and Simon Nizaradzi. Cohen told the office that he ultimately declined the proposal and instead continued to work with IC Expert and Company, represented by Felix Sater. C. Letter of Intent and Contacts to Russian Government, October 2015 to January 2016. 1. Trump signs the Letter of Intent on behalf of the Trump Organization. Between approximately October 13, 2015 and November 2, 2015, the Trump Organization, through its subsidiary Trump Acquisition LLC, an IC expert, completed a letter of intent, LOI, for Trump Moscow property. The LOI, signed by Trump and the Trump Organization and Rozov, on behalf of IC expert, was intended to facilitate further discussions in order to attempt to enter into a mutually acceptable agreement related to the Trump-branded project in Moscow. The LOI contemplated a development with residential, hotel, commercial, and office components and called for approximately 250 first-class luxury residential condominiums as well as one first-class luxury hotel consistent of approximately 15 floors and containing not fewer than 150 hotel rooms. For the residential and commercial portions of the project, the Trump Organization would receive between 1 and 5% of all condominium sales, plus 3% of all rental and other revenues. For the project's hotel portion, the Trump Organization would receive a base fee of 3% of gross operating revenues for the first five years, 4% thereafter, plus a separate incentive fee of 20% of operating profit. Under the LOI, the Trump Organization would receive $4 million upfront fee prior to groundbreaking. Under these terms, the Trump Organization stood to earn substantial sums over the lifetime of the project without assuming significant liabilities or financing commitments. On November 3, 2015, the day after the Trump Organization submitted the LOI, Sater emailed Cohen suggesting that Trump Moscow project could be used to increase candidate Trump's chances at being elected, writing, Buddy, our boy can become president of the USA and we can engineer it. 
I'll get all the Putin's team to buy in on this. I'll manage this process. Michael, Putin gets on the stage with Donald for a ribbon cutting for Trump Moscow, and Donald owns the Republican nomination. And probably beats Hillary, and our boy is in. We will manage this process better than anyone. You and I will get Donald and Vladimir on the stage together very shortly. That's the game changer. Later that day, Sater followed up. Donald doesn't stare down. He negotiates and understands the economic issues. And Putin only wants to deal with the pragmatic leader. And a successful businessman is a good candidate for someone who knows how to negotiate. Business, politics, whatever. It's all the same for someone who knows how to deal. I think I can get Putin to say that at the Trump Moscow press conference. If he says it, we own this election. America's most difficult adversary agreeing that Donald is a good guy to negotiate. We can own this election. Michael, my next steps are very sensitive with Putin's very, very close people. We can pull this off. Michael, let's go. Two boys from Brooklyn getting a USA president elected. This is good. Really good. According to Cohen, he did not consider the political import of the Trump-Moscow project to the 2016 U.S. presidential election at the time. Cohen also did not recall candidate Trump or anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign discussing the political implications of the Trump-Moscow project with him. However, Cohen recalled conversations with Trump in which the candidate suggested that his campaign would be a significant infomercial for Trump-branded properties. Number two. Post-LOI contacts with individuals in Russia. Given the size of the Trump Moscow project, Sater and Cohen believed the project required approval, whether express or implicit, from the Russian national government, including from the presidential administration of Russia. Sater stated that he, therefore, began to contact the presidential administration through another Russian business contact. In early negotiations with the Trump Organization, Sater had alluded to the need for government approval and his attempts to set up meetings with Russian officials. On October 12, 2015, for example, Sater wrote to Cohen that all we need is Putin on board and we're golden, and that a meeting with Putin and top deputy is tentatively set for the 14th of October. Redacted. Grand Jury. This meeting was being coordinated by associates in Russia and that he had no direct interaction with the Russian government. Approximately a month later, after the LOI had been signed, Lana Urchova emailed Ivanka Trump on behalf of Urchova's then-husband, Dmitry Klokov, to offer Klokov's assistance to the Trump campaign. Klokov was at the time Director of External Communications for PJSC Federal Grid Company of United Energy System, a large Russian electric transmission company, and had been previously employed as an aide and press secretary to Russia's energy minister. Ivanka Trump forwarded the email to Cohen. He told the office that, after receiving this inquiry, he had conducted an internet search for Koklov's name and concluded incorrectly that Koklov was a former Olympic weightlifter. Between November 18th and 19th of 2015, Koklov and Cohen had at least one telephone call and exchanged several emails. Describing himself in emails to Cohen as a trusted person who could offer the campaign political synergy and synergy on a government level, 
Klokov recommended that Cohen travel to Russia to speak with him and an unidentified intermediary. Klokov said that those conversations could facilitate a later meeting in Russia between the candidate and an individual Klokov described as, quote, our person of interest. In an email to the office, Archova later identified the person of interest was Russian President Vladimir Putin. In the telephone call and follow-up emails on Klokov, Cohen discussed his desire to use the near-term trip to Russia to do site surveys and talk over the Trump-Moscow project with local developers. Cohen registered his willingness also to meet with Klokov and the unidentified intermediary, but was emphatic that all meetings in Russia involving him or candidate Trump, including a possible meeting between candidate Trump and Putin, would need to be, quote, in conjunction with the development and an official visit, with the Trump organization receiving a formal invitation to visit. Klokov had written previously that the visit by candidate Trump to Russia was to be informal. Klokov had also previously recommended to Cohen that he separate their negotiations over a possible meeting between Trump and the person of interest from any existing business track, re-emphasizing that his outreach was not done on behalf of any business. Klokov added in a second email to Cohen that if publicized well, such a meeting could have phenomenal impact on a business dimension and that the person of interest's most important support could have significant ramifications for the level of projects and their capacity. Klokov concluded by telling Cohen that there was no bigger warranty in any project than the consent of the person of interest. Cohen rejected the proposal, saying that currently our LOI developer is in talks with VP's chief of staff and arranging a formal invite with the two to meet. The email appears to be their final exchange, and the investigation did not identify evidence that Cohen brought Klokov's initial offer of assistance to the campaign's attention or that anyone associated with the Trump organization or the campaign dealt with Klokov at a later date. Cohen explained that he did not pursue the proposed meeting because he was already working on the Trump Moscow project with Sater, who Cohen understood to have his own connections in the Russian government. By late December 2015, however, Cohen was complaining that Sater had not been able to use those connections to set up the promised meeting with Russian government officials. Cohen told Sater that he was setting up the meeting himself. On January 11, 2016, Cohen emailed the office of Dmitry Peskov, the Russian government's press secretary, indicating that he desired contact with Sergei Ivanov, Putin's chief of staff. Cohen erroneously used the email address pr underscore peskova at prpress.gof.ru instead of pr underscore peskova at prpress.gov.ru. So the email apparently did not go through. On January 14, 2016, Cohen emailed a different address, info at prpress.gov.ru, with the following message. Dear Mr. Peskov, over the last few months, I have been working with a company based in Russia regarding the development of a Trump Tower Moscow project in Moscow City. Without getting into lengthy specifics, the communication between our two sides has stalled. As this project is too important, I am hereby requesting your assistance. 
I respectfully request someone, preferably you, contact me so that I might discuss the specifics as well as arranging meetings with the appropriate individuals. I think you would advance for your assistance and look forward to hearing from you soon. Two days later, Cohen sent an email to PR underscore Pescova at prpress.gov.ru repeating his request to speak with Sergei Ivanov. Cohen testified to Congress and initially told the office that he did not recall receiving a response to this email inquiry and that he decided to terminate any further work on the Trump Moscow project as of January 2016. Cohen later admitted that these statements were false. In fact, Cohen had received and recalled receiving a response to his inquiry, and he continued to work on and update candidate Trump on the project through as late as June of 2016. On January 20th, 2016, Cohen received an email from Alina Polyakova, Peskov's personal assistant. Writing from her personal email account, Polyakova stated that she had been trying to reach Cohen and asked that he call her on her personal number that she provided. Shortly after, rece shortly after receiving Polyakova's email, Cohen called and spoke to her for 20 minutes. Cohen described to Polyakova his position at the Trump Organization and outlined the proposed Trump Moscow project, including information about the Russian counterparty with which the Trump Organization had partnered. Cohen requested assistance in moving the project forward, both in securing land to build the project and with financing. According to Cohen, Polyakova asked detailed questions and took notes, stating that she would need to follow up with others in Russia. Cohen could not recall any direct follow-up from Polyakova or from any of the other representatives of the Russian government, nor did the office identify any evidence of direct follow-up. However, the day after Cohen's call to with Polyakova, Sater texted Cohen, asking him to call me when you have a few minutes to chat. It's about Putin. They called today. Sater then sent a draft invitation for Cohen to visit Moscow to discuss the Trump Moscow project along with a note to tell me if the letter is good as amended by me or make whatever changes you want and send it back to me. After a further round of edits on January 25, 2016, Sater sent Cohen an invitation signed by Andrei Ryanbinsky and the company MHJ to travel to Moscow for a working visit about the prospects of development and construction business in Moscow. The various land plots available suited for construction of this enormous tower and the opportunity to coordinate a follow-up visit to Moscow by Mr. Donald Trump. According to Cohen, he elected not to travel at the time because of concerns about the lack of concrete proposals and about land plots that could be considered as options for the project. D. Discussions about Russia travel by Michael Cohen or candidate Trump, December 2015 to June 2016. 1. Sater's overtures to Cohen to travel to Russia. The late January communication was neither the first nor the last time that Cohen completed visiting Russia in pursuit of the Trump Moscow project. Beginning in late 2015, Sater repeatedly tried to arrange for Cohen and candidate Trump as representative of the Trump Organization to travel to Russia to meet with Russian government officials and possible financing partners. In December of 2015, Sater sent Cohen a number of emails about logistics for traveling to Russia for meetings. On December 19, 2015, Sater wrote, 
Please call me. I have Avenji Dvoskin on the other line. He needs a copy of yours and Donald's passports, and they need a scan of every page of the passports. Invitations and visas will be issued this week by VTB Bank to discuss financing for Trump Tower Moscow. Politically, neither Putin's office nor Ministry of Foreign Affairs cannot issue invite, so they are inviting commercially business. VTB is Russia's two biggest bank, and VTB Bank CEO Andre Kostin will also be at all the meetings with Putin so that it is a business meeting, not political. We will be invited to Russia consulate this week to receive invite and have visa issued. In response, Cohen texted Sater an image of his own passport. Cohen told the office that at one point he requested a copy of candidate Trump's passport from Ronna Graff, Trump's executive assistant at the Trump Organization, and that Graff later brought Trump's passport to Cohen's office. The investigation did not, however, establish that the passport was forwarded to Sater. Into the spring of 2016, Sater and Cohen continued to discuss a trip to Moscow in connection with the Trump Moscow project. On April 20, 2016, Sater wrote Cohen, the people wanted to know when you were coming. On May 4, 2016, Sater followed up. I had a chat with Moscow. Assuming that the trip does happen, the question is before or after the convention. I said I believe, but don't know for sure, that it's probably after the convention. Obviously, the pre-meeting trip, you only, can happen anytime you want. But the two big guys were the question. I said I would confirm and revert. Let me know about if I was right by saying I believe after Cleveland, and also when you want to speak to them and possibly fly over. Cohen responded, my trip before Cleveland, Trump once he becomes the nominee after the convention. The day after this exchange, Sater tied Cohen's travel to Russia to the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum, or Forum, an annual event attended by prominent Russian politicians and businessmen. Sater told the office that he was informed by the business associate that Peskov wanted to invite Cohen to the forum. On May 5th, 2016, Sater wrote to Cohen, Peskov would like to invite you as his guest to the St. Petersburg Forum, which is Russia's Davos. It's June 16th through 19th. He wants to meet there with you and possibly introduce you to either Putin or Medvedev, and they are not sure if one or both will be there. This is perfect. The entire business class of Russia will be there as well. He said anything you want to discuss, including dates and subjects, are all on the table to discuss. The following day, Sater asked Cohen to confirm those dates would work for him for travel. Cohen wrote back, works for me. On June 9, 2016, Sater sent Cohen a notice that said he, Sater, was completing the badges for the forum, adding, Putin is there on the 17th. Very strong chance you will meet him as well. On June 13th, 2016, Sater forwarded Cohen an invitation to the forum signed by the director of the Ross Congress Foundation, the Russian entity organizing the forum. Sater also sent Cohen a Russian visa application and asked him to send two passport photos. According to Cohen, the invitation gave no indication that Peskov had been involved in inviting him. Cohen was concerned that Russian officials were not actually involved or were not interested in meeting with him, as Sater had alleged. And so he decided not to go to the forum. 
On June 14, 2016, Cohen met Sater in the lobby of the Trump Tower in New York and informed him that he would not be traveling at that time. 2. Candidate Trump's Opportunities to Travel to Russia The investigation identified evidence that, during the period of the Trump Moscow project was under consideration, the possibility of candidate Trump visiting Russia arose in two contexts. First, the interviews with the office. Cohen stated that he discussed the subject of traveling to Russia with Trump twice, once in 2015 and again in spring 2016. According to Cohen, Trump indicated a willingness to travel if it would assist the project significantly. On one occasion, Trump told Cohen to speak with then-campaign manager Corey Lewandowski to coordinate the candidate's schedule. Cohen recalled that he spoke with Lewandowski, who suggested that they speak again when Cohen had actual dates to evaluate. Cohen indicated, however, that he knew that travel prior to the Republican National Convention would be impossible given the candidate's pre-existing commitments to the campaign. Second, like Cohen, Trump received and turned down an invitation to the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum. In late December 2015, Mira Duma, a contact of Ivanka Trump's from the fashion industry, first passed along invitations for Ivanka Trump and candidate Trump from Sergei Prikodko. Prikodko, a deputy prime minister of the Russian Federation. On January 14, 2016, Rona Graf sent an email to Duma stating that Trump was honored to be asked to participate in the highly prestigious forum event, but he could not attend and had to decline the invitation given his very grueling and full travel schedule as a presidential candidate. Graf asked Duma whether she recommended that Graf send a formal note to the deputy prime minister declining his invitation. Duma replied that formal note would be great. It does not appear that Graf prepared that note immediately. According to written answers from President Trump, Graf received an email from Deputy Prime Minister Pradoko on March 17, 2016, again inviting Trump to participate in the 2016 Forum in St. Petersburg. Two weeks later, on March 31, 2016, Graf prepared for Trump's signature a two-paragraph letter declining the invitation. The letter stated that Trump's schedule has become extremely demanding because of the presidential campaign, that he already had several commitments in the United States for the time of the forum, but that he otherwise would have gladly given every consideration to attending such an important event. Graf forwarded the letter to another executive assistant of the Trump Organization with instructions to print the document on letterhead for Trump to sign. At approximately the same time that the letter was being prepared, Robert Forsman, a New York-based investment banker, began reaching out to Graf to secure an in-person meeting with the candidate Trump. According to Forsman, he had been asked by Anton Kobilakov, a Russian presidential aide involved in the Recongress Foundation, to see if Trump could speak at the forum. Forsman first emailed Graf on March 31, 2016, following a phone introduction brokered through the Trump business associate, Mark Burnett, who produced the television show The Apprentice. In his email, Forsman referenced his long-standing personal and professional expertise in Russia and Ukraine, his work setting up an early private channel between Vladimir Putin and U.S. President George W. Bush, and an approach that he had received from senior 
Kremlin officials about the candidate. Forsman asked Graff for a meeting with the candidate, Corey Lewandowski, or another relevant person to discuss this and other concrete things Forsman felt uncomfortable discussing over unsecure email. On April 4, 2016, Graff forwarded Forsman's meeting request to Jessica Machia, another executive assistant to Trump. With no response forthcoming, Forsman twice sent letters to Graff, first on April 26 and again on April 30, 2016. Graff sent an apology to Forsman and forwarded his April 2016 email as well as his initial March 2016 email to Lewandowski. On May 2, 2016, Graff forwarded Forsman's April 30th email which suggested an alternative meeting with Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump so that Forsman could convey to them information that should be conveyed to the candidate personally or to someone the candidate absolutely trusts, to policy advisor Stephen Miller. No communications or otherwise evidence attained by the office indicate that the Trump campaign learned that Forsman was reaching out to invite the candidate to the forum or that the campaign otherwise followed up with Forsman until after the election when he interacted with the transition team as he pursued a possible position in the upcoming administration. When interviewed by the office, Forsman denied that the specific approach from senior Kremlin officials noted in his March 31, 2016 email was anything other than Kobiakov's invitation to Ross Congress. According to Forsman, the concrete things he referenced in the same email were a combination of the invitation itself, Forsman's personal perspectives on the invitation, and Russia policy in general, and details of a Ukraine plan supported by U.S. think tank East-West Institute. Forsman told the office that Kobiakov had extended similar invitations through him to another Republican presidential candidate and one other politician. Forsman also said that Kobiakov had asked Forsman to invite Trump to speak after the presidential candidate withdrew from the race and the other politicians' participation did not work out. Finally, Forsman claimed to have no plans to establish a back channel involving Trump, stating that reference to this involvement in the Bush-Putin back channel was meant to burnish his credentials to the campaign. Forsman commented that he had not recognized any of the experts announced as Trump's foreign policy team in March 2016 (laughs) and wanted to to secure an in-person meeting with the candidate to share his professional background and policy views, including that Trump should decline Kobiakov's invitation to speak at the forum. 2. George Papadopoulos George Papadopoulos was a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign from March 2016 to early October 2016. In late April 2016, Papadopoulos was told by London-based professor Joseph Misford immediately after Misford's return from a trip to Moscow that the Russian government had obtained dirt on candidate Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. One week later, on May 6, 2016, Papadopoulos suggested to a representative of a foreign government that the Trump campaign had received indications from the Russian government that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information that would be damaging to candidate Clinton. Papadopoulos shared information about Russian dirt with people outside of the campaign, and the office investigated whether he also provided it to a campaign official. Papadopoulos and the campaign officials with whom he interacted told the office that they did not recall that Papadopoulos passed them the information. Throughout the relevant period of time, 
And for several months thereafter, Papadopoulos worked with Misfit and two Russian nationals to arrange a meeting between the campaign and the Russian government. That meeting never came to pass. A. Origins of Campaign Work In March 2016, Papadopoulos became a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign. As early as the summer of 2015, he had sought a role in the, as a policy advisor to the campaign, but in late 2015, Papadopoulos obtained a paid position on the campaign of Republican presidential candidate Ben Carson. Although Carson remained in the presidential race until early March 2016, Papadopoulos had stopped actively working on his campaign by early February of 2016. At that time, Papadopoulos reached out to a contact at the London Center of International Law Practice, LCILP, which billed itself as a unique institution comprising high-level professional international law practitioners dedicated to the advancement of global legal knowledge and the practice of international law. Papadopoulos said that he had finished his role with the Carson campaign and asked if LCILP was hiring. In early February, Papadopoulos agreed to join LCILP, LCILP, and arrived in London to begin work. As he was taking his position at LCILP, Papadopoulos contacted Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski via LinkedIn and emailed campaign official Michael Glasner about his interest in joining the Trump campaign. On March 2, 2016, Papadopoulos sent Glasner another message reiterating his interest. Glasner passed along the word of Papadopoulos' interest to another campaign official, Joy Lutez, or Lutz, who notified Papadopoulos by email that she had been told by Glasner to introduce Papadopoulos to Sam Clovis, the Trump campaign's national co-chair and chief policy advisor. At the time of Papadopoulos' March 2nd email, the media was criticizing the Trump campaign for a lack of experience in foreign policy or national security advisors within its ranks. To address that issue, senior campaign officials asked Clovis to put a foreign policy team together on short notice. After receiving Papadopoulos' name from Lutz, Clovis performed a Google search on Papadopoulos, learned that he had worked at the Hudson Institute, and believed that he had credibility on energy issues. On March 3, 2016, Clovis arranged to speak with Papadopoulos by phone to discuss Papadopoulos joining the campaign as a foreign policy advisor, and on March 6, 2016, the two spoke. Papadopoulos recalled that Russia was mentioned as a topic, and he understood from the conversation that Russia would be an important aspect of the campaign's foreign policy. At the end of the conversation, Clovis offered Papadopoulos a role as a foreign policy advisor to the campaign, and Papadopoulos accepted that offer. B. Initial Russia-related contacts Approximately a week after signing on as a foreign policy advisor, Papadopoulos traveled to Rome, Italy as part of his duties with the LCILP. The purpose of this trip was to meet officials affiliated with Link Campus University, a for-profit institution headed by a former Italian government official. During the visit, Papadopoulos was introduced to Joseph Misfood. Misfood is a Maltese national who worked as a professor at the London Academy of Diplomacy in London, England. Although Misfood worked out of London and was also affiliated with LCILP, the encounter in Rome was the first time that Papadopoulos had met him. 
Misfit maintained various Russian contacts while living in London, and described further below. Among his contacts were Redacted, investigative technique. A one-time employee of the IRA, the entity that carried out the Russian social media campaign. In January and February of 2016, Misfit and Discussed Possibly meeting in Russia. The investigation did not identify evidence of them meeting. Later, in the spring of 2016, was also in contact that was linked to an employee of the Russian Ministry of Defense. And that account had overlapping contacts with a Russian group of military-controlled Facebook accounts that included accounts used to promote the DC leaks re releases in the course of the GRU's hack and release operations. According to Papadopoulos, Misfit at first seemed uninterested in Papadopoulos when they met in Rome. After Papadopoulos informed Misfit about his role in the Trump campaign, however, Misfit appeared to take greater interest in Papadopoulos. The two discussed Misfit's European and Russian contacts and had a general discussion about Russia. Misfit also offered to introduce Papadopoulos to European leaders and others with contacts to the Russian government. Papadopoulos told the office that Misfit's claim of substantial connections with Russian government officials interested Papadopoulos, who thought that such connections could increase his importance as a policy advisor to the Trump campaign. On March 17, 2016, Papadopoulos returned to London. Four days later, candidate Trump publicly named him as a member of the Foreign Policy and National Security Advisory Team chaired by Senator Jeff Sessions, describing Papadopoulos as an oil and energy consultant and an excellent guy. On March 24, 2016, Papadopoulos met with Misfit in London. Misfit was accompanied by a Russian female named Olga Polonskaya. Misfit introduced Polonskaya as a former student of his who had connections to Vladimir Putin. Papadopoulos understood at the time that Polinskaya had, may have been Putin's niece, but later learned that this was not true. During that meeting, Polinskaya offered to help Papadopoulos establish contacts in Russia and stated that Russian ambassador in London was a friend of hers. Based on this interaction, Papadopoulos expected Misfit and Polinskaya to introduce him to the Russian ambassador in London, but that did not occur. Following this meeting with Misfit, Papadopoulos sent an email to members of the Trump campaign foreign policy advisory team. The subject line of the message was, meeting with Russian leadership, including Putin. The message stated, in pertinent part, I just finished a very productive lunch with a good friend of mine, Joseph Musfid, the director of the London Academy of Diplomacy, who introduced me to both Putin's niece and the Russian ambassador in London, who also acts as the deputy foreign minister. The topic of the lunch was to arrange a meeting between us and the Russian leadership to discuss U.S.-Russia ties under President Trump. They are keen to host us in a neutral city or directly in Moscow. They said that the leadership, including Putin, is ready to meet with us and Mr. Trump should there be interest, waiting for everyone's thoughts on moving forward with this very important issue. Papadopoulos' message came at a time when Clovis perceived a shift in the campaign's approach towards Russia. From one of 
engaging with Russia through a NATO framework and taking a strong stance on Russian aggression in the Ukraine. Redacted. Grand jury. Clovis's response to Papadopoulos, however, did not reflect that shift. Replying to Papadopoulos and the other members of the foreign policy advisory team copied on the initial email, Clovis wrote, This is most informative. Let me work it through the campaign. No commitments until we see how this plays out. My thought is that we probably should not go forward with any meetings with the Russians until we have had occasion to sit down with our NATO allies, especially France, Germany, and Great Britain. We need to reassure our allies that we are not going to advance anything with Russia until we have everyone on the same page. More thoughts later today. Great work. C. March 31st Foreign Policy Team Meeting The campaign held a meeting on the Foreign Policy Advisory Team with Senator Schaff Sessions and candidate Trump approximately one week later. On March 31, 2016, in Washington, D.C., the meeting, which was intended to generate press coverage for the campaign, took place at the Trump International Hotel. Papadopoulos flew to Washington for the event. At the meeting, Senator Sessions sat at one end of the oval table while Trump sat at the other. As reflected in the photograph below, which is posted to Trump's Instagram account, Papadopoulos sat between the two, two seats to the left of Sessions. And then there's the photo. <laughs> I thought he'd never met him. During the meeting, each of the newly announced foreign policy advisors introduced themselves and briefly described their areas of experience or expertise. Papadopoulos spoke about his previous work in the energy sector and then brought up a potential meeting with Russian officials. Specifically, Papadopoulos told the group that he had learned through his contacts in London that Putin wanted to meet the candidate, Trump, and that these connections could help arrange that meeting. Trump and Sessions both reacted to Papadopoulos' statement. Papadopoulos and campaign advisor J.D. Gordon, who told investigators in an interview that he had a crystal clear recollection of the meeting, have stated that Trump was interested in and receptive to his efforts to arrange that meeting. Gordon and two other attendees, however, recall that Sessions generally opposed the proposal, though they differ in their accounts of the concerns he voiced or the strength of the opposition that he expressed. D. George Papadopoulos learns that Russia has dirt on the form of Hillary Clinton's emails. Whether Sessions' precise words at the March 31st meeting, Papadopoulos did not understand Sessions or anyone else in the Trump campaign to have directed that he refrain from making further efforts to arrange a meeting between the campaign and the Russian government. To the contrary, Papadopoulos told the office that he understood the campaign to be supportive of these efforts to rearrange this meeting. Accordingly, when he returned to London, Papadopoulos resumed these efforts. Throughout April 2016, Papadopoulos continued to correspond meet with, and seek Russia contacts through Misfit and, at times, Polinskaya. For example, within a week of her initial March 24th meeting with him, Polinskaya attempted to send Papadopoulos a text message, which email exchange show to have been drafted or edited by Misfit, addressing Papadopoulos' wish to engage with the Russian Federation. 
When Papadopoulos learned from Misfit that Polinskaya had tried to message him, he sent her an email seeking another meeting. Polinskaya responded the next day that she was back in St. Petersburg, but would be very pleased to support Papadopoulos' initiatives between our two countries and to meet with him again. Papadopoulos stated in reply that he thought a good step would be to introduce him to the Russian ambassador in London and that he would like to talk to the ambassador or anyone else you recommend about a potential foreign policy trip to Russia. Misfit, who had been copied on the email exchanges, replied in the morning of April 11, 2016. He wrote, This has already been agreed. I am flying to Moscow on the 18th for a Valdai meeting, plus other meetings at the Duma. We will talk tomorrow. The two bodies referenced by Misfit are part of or associated with the Russian government. The Duma is a Russian legislative assembly where the Valdai refers to the Valdai Discussion Group, a Moscow-based group that is close to Russia's foreign policy establishment. Papadopoulos thanks Mis- thanked Papadopoulos thanked Miss Food and said that he would see him tomorrow. For her part, Polinskaya responded that she had already alerted her personal links to our conversation and to your request, and that we are all very excited about the possibility of a good relationship with Mr. Trump, and that the Russian Federation would love to welcome him once his candidature would be officially announced. Papadopoulos' and Misfit's mentions of seeing each other tomorrow referenced a meeting that the two had scheduled for the next morning, April 12, 2016, at the Andaz Hotel in London. Papadopoulos acknowledged the meeting during interviews with the office, and records from Papadopoulos' UK cell phone and his inter- internet search history all indicate that the meeting took place. Following the meeting, Misfit traveled as planned to Moscow. On April 18, 2016, while in Russia, Misfit's, Misfit introduced Papadopoulos over email to Ivan Timorafiev, a member of the Russian International Affairs Council, the RIAC. Misfit had described Timofeev as having connections with the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the MFA, the executive entity in Russia responsible for Russian foreign relations. Over the next several weeks, Papadopoulos and Timofeev had multiple conversations over Skype and email about setting the groundwork for a potential meeting between the campaign and Russian government officials. Papadopoulos told the office that, on one Skype call, he believed that his conversation with Timofeev was being monitored or supervised by an unknown third party because Timofeev spoke in an official manner and Papadopoulos heard odd noises on the line. Timofeev also told Papadopoulos in an April 25, 2016 email that he had just spoken to Igor Ivanov, the president of the RIAC and former foreign minister of Russia, and conveyed Ivanov's advice about how to best arrange a Moscow visit. After a stop in Rome, Misfits returned to England on April 25, 2016. The next day, Papadopoulos met Misfit for breakfast at the Andaz Hotel, the same location as their last meeting. During that meeting, Misfit told Papadopoulos that he had met with high-level Russian government officials during his recent trip to Moscow. Misfit also said that on the trip, he learned that Russians had obtained dirt on candidate Hillary Clinton. 
As Papadopoulos later stated to the FBI, Misfit said that the dirt was in the form of emails of Clinton and that they have thousands of emails. On May 6, 2016, 10 days after that meeting with Misfit, Papadopoulos suggested to a representative of a foreign government that the Trump campaign had received indications from the Russian government that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton. E. Russia-related communications with the campaign. While he was discussing with his foreign contacts a potential meeting of campaign officials with Russian government officials, Papadopoulos kept campaign officials apprised of all of his efforts. On April 25, 2016, the day before Misfit told Papadopoulos about the emails, Papadopoulos wrote to senior policy advisor Stephen Miller that the Russian government was an open invitation by Putin for Mr. Trump to meet him when he is ready and that the advantage of being in London is that these governments tend to speak a bit more openly in neutral cities. On April 27, 2016, after his meeting with Misfit, Papadopoulos wrote a second message to Miller stating that some interesting messages were coming in from Moscow about the trip when the time is right. The same day, Papadopoulos sent a similar email to a campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, telling Lewandowski that Papadopoulos had been receiving a lot of calls over the last month about Putin wanting to host Trump and the team when its time is right. Papadopoulos' Russian-related communications with campaign officials continued throughout the spring and summer of 2016. On May 4, 2016, he forwarded to Lewandowski an email from Timofeev raising the possibility of a meeting in Moscow, asking Lewandowski whether or not that was something that he would want to move forward with. The next day, Papadopoulos forwarded the same Timofeev email to Sam Clovis, adding to the top of the email, Russia Update. He included the same email in a May 21, 2016 message to senior campaign official Paul Manafort under the subject line, Request from Russia to meet with Mr. Trump, stating that Russia has been eager to meet with Mr. Trump for quite some time and, to, and have been reaching out to me to discuss. Manafort forwarded the message to another campaign official without including Papadopoulos and stated, Let's discuss. We need someone to communicate that Trump is not doing these trips. It should be someone low-level in the campaign so as to not send any signal. On June 1st, 2016, Papadopoulos replied to an earlier email chain with Lewandowski about a Russia visit asking if Lewandowski wanted to have a call about this topic and whether we were following up with it. After Lewandowski told Papadopoulos to connect with Clovis because he was running point, Papadopoulos emailed Clovis that the Russian MFA was asking him if Mr. Trump is interested in visiting Russia at some point. Papadopoulos wrote in an email that he wanted to pass this info along to you for you to decide what's best to do with it and what message I should send or to ignore. After several email and Skype exchanges with Timothy, Papadopoulos sent one more email to Lewandowski on June 19, 2016, Lewandowski's last day as the campaign manager. The email stated that the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs had contacted him and asked whether, if Mr. Trump could not travel to Russia, a campaign representative such as Papadopoulos could attend meetings. Papadopoulos told Lewandowski that he was willing to make the trip 
off the record if it's in the interest of Mr. Trump and the campaign to meet specific people. Following Lewandowski's departure from the campaign, Papadopoulos communicated with Clovis and Walid Fares, another member of the foreign policy team, advisory team, about an off-the-record meeting between the campaign and the Russian government officials or with Papadopoulos's other Russian connections, Misfit and Timofeev. Papadopoulos also interacted directly with Clovis and Fares in connection with the summit of the Transatlantic Parliamentary Group on Counterterrorism, the TAG, a group for which, which Fares was co-secretary general. On July 16, 2016, Papadopoulos attended a TAG summit in Washington, D.C., where he sat next to Clovis, as reflected in the photograph below. Although Clovis claimed to have no recollection of attending the TAG summit, Papadopoulos remembered discussing Russia and a foreign policy trip with Clovis and Fares during the event. Papadopoulos' recollection is consistent with emails sent before and after the TAG summit. The pre-summit messages included a July, July 11, 2016 email in which Fares suggested meeting Papadopoulos the day after the summit to chat and a July 12th message in the same chain in which Fares advised Papadopoulos that other summit attendees are very nervous about Russia, so be aware. Ten days after the summit, Papadopoulos sent an email to Misfit listing Fares and Clovis as other participants in a potential meeting at the London Academy of Diplomacy. Finally, Papadopoulos' recollection is also consistent with handwritten notes from a journal that he kept at the time. Those notes, which are reprinted in part below, appear to refer to potential 2016 of September meetings in London with representatives from the office of Putin and suggest that Fares, Clovis, and Papadopoulos, Walud, Sam, and me, would attend without the official backing of the campaign. No official letter, no message from Trump. Later, communications indicate that Clovis determined that he, Clovis, could not travel. On April 15, 2016, Papadopoulos emailed Clovis that he had received requests from multiple foreign governments, even Russia, for closed-door workshop consultants abroad, and asked whether there was still interest for Clovis, Fares, and Papadopoulos to go on that trip. Clovis copied Fares on his response, which said that he could not travel before the election, but that he would encourage Papadopoulos and Walid to make the trips if it's feasible. Papadopoulos was dismissed from the Trump campaign in early October 2016 after an interview he gave to the Russian news agency Interfax generated adverse publicity. F. Trump campaign knowledge of dirt. Papadopoulos admitted telling at least one individual outside of the campaign, specifically the then Greek foreign minister, about Russia's obtaining Clinton-related emails. In addition, a different foreign government, informed the FBI that, 10 days after meeting with Misfit in late April 2016, Papadopoulos suggested that the Trump campaign had received indications from a Russian government that it could assist the campaign through an anonymous release of information that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton. This conversation occurred after the GRU spearfished Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta and stole his emails, and the GRU hacked into the DCCC and DNC. Such disclosures raised information about whether Papadopoulos informed any Trump campaign official about the emails. 
When interviewed, Papadopoulos and the campaign officials who interacted with him told the office that they could not recall Papadopoulos's sharing the information that Russia had obtained dirt on the candidate Clinton in the form of emails or that Russia could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information about Clinton. Papadopoulos stated that he could not clearly recall having told anyone on the campaign and wavered about whether he accurately remembered the incident in which Clovis had been upset after hearing Papadopoulos tell Clovis that Papadopoulos thought they have her emails. The campaign officials who interacted and corresponded with Papadopoulos have similarly stated, with varying degrees of certainty, that he did not tell them. Senior policy advisor Stephen Miller, for example, did not remember hearing anything from Papadopoulos or Clovis about Russia having emails of or dirt on candidate Clinton. Clovis stated that he did not recall anyone, including Papadopoulos, having given him non-public public information that a foreign government might be in possession of information damaging to Hillary Clinton. Redacted. Grand Jury. Redacted. Grand Jury. Redacted. Grand Jury. No documentary evidence and nothing in the email accounts or other communication facilities reviewed by the office shows that Papadopoulos shared this information with the campaign. G. Additional George Papadopoulos contact. The office investigated another Russia-related contact with Papadopoulos. The office was not fully able to explore the contact because the individual at issue, Sergey Million, remained out of the country since the inception of our investigation and declined to meet with members of the office despite our repeated efforts to obtain an interview. Papadopoulos first connected with Million via LinkedIn on July 15, 2016, shortly after Papadopoulos had attended the TAG summit with Clovis. Million, an American citizen who is a native of Belarus, introduced himself as president of the New York-based Russian-American Chamber of Commerce and claimed that, through that position, he had insider knowledge of direct access of the top hierarchy in Russian politics. Papadopoulos asked Timothy, asked Timothy whether he had heard of Million. Although Timothy said no, Papadopoulos met Million in New York City. The meetings took place on July 30th and August 1st of 2016. Afterwards, Million invited Papadopoulos to attend and potentially speak at two international energy conferences, including one that was to be held in Moscow in September of 2016. Papadopoulos ultimately did not attend either conference. On July 31st, 2016, Following his first in-person meeting with Million, Papadopoulos emailed Trump campaign official Bo Denisik to say that he had been contacted by some leaders of Russian-American voters who were in the U.S. about their interest in voting for Mr. Trump and to ask whether he should put you in touch with their group, U.S. Chamber of Commerce for Russians. Denisik thanked Papadopoulos for taking the initiative, but asked him to hold off on outreach to Russian Americans because too many articles had already portrayed the campaign, then campaign chairman Paul Manafort, and candidate Trump as being pro-Russian. On April, uh, sorry, 
On August 23, 2016, Millian sent a Facebook message to Papadopoulos promising that he would share with you a disruptive technology that might be instrumental in your political work for the campaign. Papadopoulos claimed to have no recollection of this matter. On November 9, 2016, shortly after the election, Papadopoulos arranged to meet Millian in Chicago to discuss business opportunities, including potential work with Russian billionaires who were not under sanctions. The meeting took place on November 14, 2016 at the Trump Hotel and Trump Tower in Chicago. According to Papadopoulos, the two men discussed partnering on business deals, but Papadopoulos perceived that Millian's attitude towards him changed when Papadopoulos stated that he was only pursuing private sector opportunities and was not interested in a job in the administration. The two remained in contact, however, and extended online discussions about possible business opportunities in Russia. The two also arranged to meet at a Washington, D.C. bar when both attended Trump's inauguration in late January of 2017. Number three, Carter Page. Carter Page worked for the Trump campaign from January 2016 to September 2016. He was formally and publicly announced as the foreign policy advisor by the candidate in March 2016. Page had lived and worked in Russia, and he had been approached by Russian intelligence officers several years before he volunteered for the Trump campaign. During this time with the campaign, Page advocated pro-Russian foreign policy positions and traveled to Moscow in his personal capacity. Russian intelligence officials had formed relationships with Page in 2008 and 2013, and Russian officials may have focused on Page in 2016 because of his affiliation with the campaign. However, the investigation did not establish that Page coordinated with the Russian government in his efforts to interfere with the 2016 presidential campaign. A. Background before he began working for the campaign in January of 2016, Page had substantial prior experience studying Russian policy issues and living and working in Moscow. From 2004 to 2007, Page was the deputy branch manager of Merrill Lynch's Moscow office. There, he worked on transactions involving the Russian energy company Gazprom and came to know Gazprom's deputy chief financial officer, Sergei Yatsenko. In 2008, Page founded Global Energy Capital LLC, GEC, an investment management and advisory firm focused on energy sector and emerging markets. Redacted, Grand Jury. The company otherwise had no sources of income, and Page was forced to draw down his life savings to support himself and pursue his business venture. Page asked Yatsenko to work with him at GEC as a senior advisor on a contingency basis. Redacted. Grand Jury. In 2008, Page met Alexander Budilov, a Russian government official who worked at the Russian consulate in New York. Page later learned that Budilov was a Russian intelligence officer. Redacted. Grand Jury. In 2013, Viktor Podnopny, another Russian intelligence officer working co covertly in the United States under diplomatic cover, formed a relationship with Page. Podnopny met Page at an energy symposium in New York City and began exchanging emails with him. Podobny and Page met in person on multiple occasions, during which Page offered his outlook on the future of the energy industry and provided documents to Podobny about the energy business. 
In a recorded conversation on April 8, 2013, Padovny told another intelligence officer that Page was interested in business opportunities in Russia. In Padovny's words, Page, quote, got hooked on Gazprom thinking that if they have a project, he could rise up. Maybe he can. It's obvious that he wants to earn lots of money, close quote. Padovny said that he had led Page on by feeding him empty promises, that Padovny would use his Russian business connections to help Page. Padovny told the other intelligence officer that his method of recruiting foreign sources was to promote them favors and then discard them once he obtained relevant information from them. In 2015, Padovny and two other Russian intelligence officers were charged with conspiracy to act as an unregistered agent of a foreign government. The criminal complaint detailed Padovny's interactions with the conversations about Page, who is identified only as male one. Based on the criminal complaint, descriptions of the interactions, Page was aware that he was the individual described as male one. Page later spoke with the Russian government official at the United Nations General Assembly and identified himself so that the official wouldn't understand that he was male one from the Padovny complaint. Page told the official that he didn't do anything. Redacted. Grand Jury. In interviews with the FBI before the office's opening, Page acknowledged that he understood that the individuals he had associated with were members of the Russian intelligence services, but he had stated that he had only provided material non-public information to them and that he did not view this relationship as a back channel. Page told investigating agents that the more, that the more immaterial non-public information I gave them, the better for this country. B. Origins of an early campaign work. In January 2016, Page began volunteering on an informal, unpaid basis for the Trump campaign after Ed Cox, a state Republican Party official, introduced Page to Trump campaign officials. Page told the office that his goal in working on the campaign was to help the candidate, Trump, improve relations with Russia. To that end, Page emailed campaign officials offering his thoughts on U.S.-Russia relations, prepared talking points and briefing memos on Russia, and proposed that candidate Trump meet with Vladimir Putin in Moscow. In communications with campaign officials, Page also reportedly touted his high-level contacts in Russia and his ability to forge connections between candidate Trump and senior Russian government officials. For example, on January 30, 2016, Page sent an email to senior campaign officials stating that he had, quote, spent the, la spent the past week in Europe and had been in discussions with some individuals with close ties to the Kremlin, who recognized that Trump could have a game-changing effect in bringing the end of the new Cold War, close quote. The email stated that through his discussions with these high-level contacts, Page believed that a discreet meeting in Moscow between Mr. Trump and Putin could be arranged. Page closed the email by criticizing U.S. sanctions in Russia. Redacted. Grand Jury. On March 21, 2016, candidate Trump formally and publicly identified Page as a member of his foreign policy team to advise on Russia and the energy sector. Over the next several months, Page continued providing policy-related work product to campaign officials. For example, in April 2016, Page provided feedback on an outline for a foreign policy speech that the candidate gave at the Mayflower Hotel. 
Page prepared an outline of an energy policy speech for the campaign and then traveled to Bismarck, North Dakota, to watch the candidate deliver the speech. Chief Policy Advisor Sam Clovis expressed appreciation for Page's work and praised his work to other campaign officials. C. Carter Page's July 2016 trip to Moscow. Page's affiliation with the Trump campaign took on a higher profile and drew the attention of Russian officials after the candidate named him foreign policy advisor. As a result, in late April 2016, Page was invited to give a speech at the July 2016 commencement ceremony at the New Economic School in Moscow. The NES commencement ceremony generally featured high-profile speakers. For example, President Barack Obama delivered the commencement address at the school in 2009. NES officials told the office that the interest in inviting Page to speak at NES was based entirely on his status as a Trump campaign advisor who served as the candidate's Russia expert. Andrej Krikovic, an associate of Page's and assistant professor at the Higher School of Economics in Russia, recommended that NES rector Sholmo Weber invite Page to give the commencement address based on his connection to the Trump campaign. Denis Klementov, an uh, employee of NES, said that when Russians learned of Page's involvement in the Trump campaign in March 2016, the excitement was palpable. Weather, Weber recalled that in summer 2016, there was a substantial interest in the Trump campaign in Moscow, and he felt that bringing a member of the campaign to, to the school would be beneficial. Page was eager to accept the invitation to speak at NES, and he sought approval from Trump campaign officials to make the trip to Russia. On May 16, 2016, while that request was still under consideration, Page emailed Clovis, J.D. Gordon, and Walid Fares in, and suggested that the candidate Trump take his place speaking at the commencement ceremony in Moscow. On June 19, 2016, Page followed up again to request approval to speak at the NES event and to reiterate that NES would love to have Mr. Trump speak at their annual celebration in Page's place. Campaign manager Corey Lewandowski responded to the same day saying, if you want to do this, it would be outside your role of the DJT for camp president campaign. I am certain Mr. Trump will not be able to attend. In early July 2016, Page traveled to Russia for the NES events. On July 5, 2016, Denise Klementov, Kopi, and his brother, Dmitry Klementov, emailed Maria Zara Karakova <laughs> whoops, and director of the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, information and press development about Page's visit and his connections to the Trump campaign. Denis Klementov said that the email that he wanted to draw the Russian government's attention to Page's visit to Moscow. His message to Zakharova continued, Page is Trump's advisor on foreign policy. He is a known businessman. He used to work in Russia. If you have any question, I will be happy to help contact him. Dmitry Klementov then contacted Russian Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov about Page's visit to see if Peskov wanted to introduce Page to any Russian government officials. The following day, Peskov responded to what appears to have been the same Denise Klementov-Zakharova email thread. Peskov wrote, I have read about Page. Specialists say that he is far from being the main one, so I better not initiate a meeting in the Kremlin. On July 7, 2016, Page delivered the first of his two speeches in Moscow at NES. 
In the speech, Page criticized the U.S. government's foreign policy towards Russia, stating that Washington and other Western capitals have, impede, have impeded potential progress through their often hypocritical focus on ideas such as democratization, inequality, corruption, and regime change. On July 8, 2016, Page delivered a speech during the NES commencement. After Page delivered this commencement address, Russian Deputy Prime Minister and NES board member Arkady Dvorkovich spoke at the ceremony and stated that the sanctions the U.S. had imposed on Russia had hurt the NES. Page and Dvorkovich shook hands at the commencement ceremony, and Weber called that Dvorkovich made statements to Page about working together in the future. Redacted. Grand Jury. Page said that, during his time in Moscow, he met with friends and associates he knew from when he lived in Russia, including Audrey Brandonov, the former Gazprom employee who had become the head investor, head of investor relations at Rosneft, a Russian energy company. Page stated that he and Baranov talked about immaterial non-public information. Page believed that he and Baranov discussed Rosneft, President Igor Sechin, and he thought Baranov might have mentioned the possibility of a sale of a stake in Rosneft in passing. Page recalled mentioning his involvement in the Trump campaign with Baranov, although he did not remember details of the conversation. Page also met with individuals from Tafneft, a Russian energy company, to discuss possible business deals, including having Page work as a consultant. On July 8, 2016, while he was in Moscow, Page emailed several campaign officials and stated that he would send, quote, a readout soon regarding some incredible insights and outreach I've received from a few Russian legislators and senior members of the presidential administration here, end quote. On July 9, 2016, Page emailed Clovis writing in pertinent part, Russian Deputy Prime Minister and NES board member Arkady Dvorkovich also spoke before the event. In a private conversation, Dvorkovich expressed strong support for Mr. Trump and a desire to work together toward uh, devising better solutions in response to the vast range of current international problems. Based on feedback from a diverse array of other sources close to the presidential administration, it was readily apparent that this sentiment is widely held at all levels of government. Despite these representations to the campaign, Redacted Grand Jury. Redacted Grand Jury. Redacted Grand Jury. Redacted Grand Jury. The office was unable to obtain additional evidence or testimony about who Page may have met or communicated with in Moscow. Thus, Page's activities in Russia, as described in his emails with the campaign, were not fully explained. D. Later campaign work and removal from the campaign. In July 2016, after returning from Russia, Page traveled to the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. While there, Page met Russian ambassador to the United States, Sergei Kislyak. That interaction is described in Volume 1, Section 4A6A, Infra. Page later emailed campaign officials 
with feedback he said he received from ambassadors he had met in the convention. And he wrote that Ambassador Kislyak was very worried about candidate Clinton's worldviews. Redacted. Grand jury. Following the convention, Trump's trip to Moscow and his advocacy for pro-Russian foreign policy drew the media's attention and began to generate substantial press coverage. The campaign responded by distancing itself from Page, describing him as an informal public or foreign policy advisor who did not speak for Mr. Trump or the campaign. On September 23, 2016, Yahoo News reported that U.S. intelligence officials were investigating whether Page had opened private communications with senior Russian officials to discuss U.S. sanctions policy under a possible Trump administration. A campaign spokesman told Yahoo News that Page had no role in the campaign and that the campaign was not aware of his activities, past or present. <laughs> ah! Uh. On September 24, 2016, Page was formally removed from the campaign. Although Page had been removed from the campaign, after the election, he sought a position in the Trump administration. <laughs> on November 14, 2016, he submitted an application to the transition team that inflated his credentials and experiences, stating that he, in his capacity as a Trump campaign foreign policy advisor, he had met with top world leaders and effectively responded to diplomatic outreach efforts from senior government officials in Asia, Europe, and the Middle East, Africa, and the Americas. Page received no response from the transition team. When Page took a personal trip to Moscow in December 2016, he met again with at least one Russian governmental official. That interaction and a discussion of the December trip are set forth in Volume 1, Section 4, B6. Number 4. Dmitry Symes in the Center for National Interest. Members of the Trump campaign interacted on several occasions with the Center for with the Center for the National Interest, CNI, principally through its president and chief executive author, author Dimitri Symes. CNI is a think tank with, ex with expertise in and connections to the Russian government. Symes was born in the former Soviet Union and immigrated to the United States in 1970s. In April 2016, candidate Trump delivered his first speech on foreign policy and national security at an event hosted by the National Interest, a publication affiliated with CNI. Then-Senator Jeff Sessions and Russian Ambassador Kislyak both attended the event and, as a result, it gained some attention in the relation to Sessions' confirmation hearings to become Attorney General. Sessions had various other contacts with CNI during the campaign period on foreign policy matters, including Russia. Jared Kushner also interacted with Symes about Russia issues during the campaign. <laughs> Who did Jared Kushner not interact with that lives in the country of Russia? Can we talk about that for a second? The investigation did not identify evidence that the campaign passed or received any messages to or from the Russian government through CNI or Symes. A. CNI and Dimitri, Dimitri Symes connect with the Trump campaign. CNI is a Washington-based nonprofit organization that grew out of a center founded by former President Richard Nixon. CNI describes itself as a voice for strategic realism in the U.S. foreign policy and publishes a bi-monthly foreign policy magazine, The National Interest. CNI is overseed by a board of directors and an, and an advisory council that is largely honorary and whose members are, at the relevant time, included Sessions, 
who served as an advisor to candidate Trump on national security and foreign policy issues. Dimitri Symes as president and CEO of CNI and the publisher and CEO of the National Interest. Symes was born in the former Soviet Union, immigrated to the United States in the early 70s, and joined CNI's predecessor after working at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Symes personally has many contacts with current and former Russian officials, as does CNI collectively. As CNI stated when seeking a grant with the Carnegie Corporation in 2015, CNI has unparalleled access to Russian government officials and, and politicians among Washington think tanks, in part because CNI has arranged for U.S. delegations to visit Russia and for Russian delegations to visit the United States as part of so-called Track 2 diplomatic efforts. On March 14, 2016, CNI board member Richard Plepler, Plepler organized a luncheon for CNI and its honorary chairman, Henry Kissinger, at the Time Warner Building in New York. The idea behind the event was to generate interest in CNI's work and recruit new board members for CNI. Along with Symes, attendees at the event included Jared Kushner, son-in-law of candidate Trump. Kushner told the office that the event came at a time when the Trump campaign was having trouble securing support from experienced foreign policy professionals, and that, as a result, he decided to seek Symes' assistance during the March 14th event. Symes and Kushner spoke again on March 24, 2016 telephone call, three days after Trump had publicly named the team of foreign policy advisors that had been put together on short notice. On March 31, 2016, Symes and Kushner had an in-person one-on-one meeting in Kushner's New York office. During that meeting, Symes told Kushner that the best way to handle foreign policy issues for the Trump campaign would be to organize an advisory group of experts to meet with candidate Trump and develop a foreign policy approach that was consistent with Trump's voice. Symes believed that Kushner was receptive to that suggestion. Symes also had contact with other individuals associated with the Trump campaign regarding the campaign's foreign policy positions. For example, on June 17, 2016, Symes sent J.D. Gordon an email with a memo to Senator Sessions that we discussed at our recent meeting and asked Gordon to both read it and share it with Sessions. The memorandum proposed building a small and carefully selected group of experts to assist Sessions in the campaign, operating under the assumption that Hillary Clinton is very vulnerable on national security and foreign policy issues. The memorandum outlined key uh, issues for the campaign, including the new beginning with Russia. B. National Interest hosts a foreign policy speech at the Mayflower Hotel. During both their March 24th phone call and their March 31st in-person meeting, Symes and Kushner discussed the possibility of CNI hosting a foreign policy speech by candidate Trump. Following those conversations, Symes agreed that he and others associated with CNI would provide behind-the-scenes input on the substance of the foreign policy speech that the CNI officials would coordinate the logistics of the speech with Sessions and his staff, including Sessions' chief of staff, Rick Dearborn. Mid-April 2016, Kushner put Symes in contact with senior policy advisor Stephen Miller and forwarded to Symes an outline of the foreign policy speech that Miller had prepared. Symes sent back to the campaign bullet points with ideas for the speech that he had drafted with CNI Executive Director Paul Saunders and board member Richard Burt. 
Symes received subsequent draft outlines from Miller, and he and Saunders spoke to Miller by phone about substantive changes to the speech. It is not clear, however, whether CNI officials received an actual draft of the speech for comments. While, while Saunders recalled having received an actual draft, Symes did not, and the emails that CNI produced to this office did not contain such a draft. After board members expressed concerns to Symes that CNI hosting the speech could be perceived as an endorsement of a particular candidate, CNI decided to have its publication, The National Interest, serve as the host and to have the event at the National Press Club. Kushner later, later requested that the event be moved to the Mayflower Hotel, which was another venue that Symes had mentioned during the initial discussions of the campaign, in order to address concerns about security and capacity. On April 25, 2016, Saunders booked, ev booked event rooms at the Mayflower to host both the speech and the VIP reception that was to be held beforehand. Saunders understood that the reception at which invitees would have a chance to meet candidate Trump would be a small event. Saunders decided who would attend by looking at the list of CNI invitees on the speech itself and then choosing a subject for the reception. CNI's invitees to the reception included Sessions and Kislyak. The week before the speech, Symes had informed Kislyak that he would be invited to the speech and that he would have the opportunity to meet Trump. When the pre-speech reception began on April 27th, a receiving line was quickly organized so that attendees could meet Trump. Sessions first stood next to Trump to introduce him to the members of Congress who were there in attendance. After those members who had been introduced, Symes stood next to Trump and introduced him to the CNI invitees in attendance, including Kislyak. Symes perceived the introduction to be positive and friendly, but thought it clear that Kislyak and Trump had just met for the first time. Kislyak also met Kushner during the pre-speech reception. The two shook hands and chatted for a minute or two, during which Kushner recalled Kislyak saying, We like what your candidate's saying. It's refreshing. Several public reports state that, in addition to speaking with Kushner at the pre-speech reception, Kislyak also met or conversed with Sessions at that time. Sessions stated to investigators, however, that he did not remember any such conversation. Nor did anyone else affiliated with CNI or the National Interest specifically recall a conversation or meeting between Sessions and Kislyak at the pre-speech pre reception. It appears that if a conversation occurred at the pre-speech reception, it was a brief one conducted in public view, similar to the exchange between Kushner and Kislyak. The office found no evidence that Kislyak conversed with either Trump or Sessions after the speech, or would have had the opportunity to do so. Symes, for example, did not recall seeing Kislyak at the post-speech luncheon, and the only witness who, accused, who accounted for Sessions' whereabouts stated that Sessions may have spoken to the press after the event, but then departed for Capitol Hill. Saunders recalled based in part on a food-related request he received from a campaign staff member that Trump left the hotel a few minutes after the speech to go to the airport. C. Jeff Sessions' post-speech interactions with CNI. In the wake of Sessions' confirmation hearings as Attorney General, questions arose about whether Sessions' campaign period interactions with CNI, apart from the Mayflower speech, included any additional meetings with Ambassador Kislyak or involved Russian-related matters. 
With respect to Kislyak contacts, on May 23, 2016, Sessions attended CNI's Distinguished Service Award Dinner at the Four Seasons Hotel in Washington, D.C. Sessions attended the pre-dinner reception and was seated at one of the two head tables for the event. A seating chart prepared by Saunders indicates that Sessions was scheduled to be seated next to Kislyak, who appears to have responded to the invitation by indicating that he would attend the event. Sessions, however, did not remember seeing, speaking with, or sitting next to Kislyak at the dinner. Although CNI board member Charles Boyd said he may have seen Kislyak at the dinner, Sam Saunders and Jacob Heilbrun, editor of the National Interest, all had no recollection of seeing Kislyak at the May 23rd event. Kislyak also does not appear in any of the photos of the event that the office has attained. In the summer of 2016, CNI organized at least two dinners in Washington, D.C. for sessions to meet with experienced foreign policy professionals. The dinners included CNI-affiliated individuals such as Richard Burt and Zalmay Khalilzad a former U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan and Iraq, and the person who had introduced Trump before the April 27, 2016 foreign policy speech. Khalilzad also met with Sessions one-on-one separately from those dinners. At the dinners and in the meetings, the participants addressed U.S. relations with Russia, including how U.S. relations with NATO and European countries affected U.S. policy towards Russia. But the discussions were not exclusively focused on Russia. Khalilzad, for example, recalled discussing nation-building and violent extremism with Sessions. In addition, Sessions, at, Sessions asked Saunders of CNI to draft two memoranda not specific to Russia, one on Hillary Clinton's foreign policy shortcomings and another on Egypt. D. Jared Kushner's Continuing Contacts with Symes between the April 2016 speech at the Mayflower Hotel and the presidential election, Jared Kushner had periodic contacts with Symes. Those contacts consisted of both in-person meetings and phone conversations, which concerned how to address issues relating to Russia in the campaign and how to move forward with the advisory group of foreign policy experts that Symes had proposed. Symes recalled that he, not Kushner, initiated all conversations about Russia and that Kushner never asked him to set up a back-channel conversation with the Russians. According to Symes, after the Mayflower speech in late April, Symes raised the issue of Russian contacts with Kushner, advised that he was, it was bad optics for the campaign to develop hidden Russian contacts, and told Kushner both that the campaign should not highlight Russia as an issue and should handle any contacts with Russians at, with care. Kushner generally provided a similar account of his interactions with Symes. Among the Kushner-Symes meetings, was one held on August 17, 2016 at Symes' request in Kushner's New York office. The meeting was to address foreign policy advice that CNI was providing and how to respond to the Clinton campaign's Russia-related attacks on candidate Trump. In advance of the meeting, Symes sent Kushner a Russian policy memo laying out what Mr. Trump may want to say about Russia. In a cover email transmitting that memo, and a phone call to set up the meeting, Symes mentioned a well-documented story of highly questionable connections between Bill Clinton and the Russian government. 
parts of which, according to Symes, had even been discussed with the CIA and FBI in the late 1990s and shared with the Independent Council at the end of the Clinton presidency. Kushner forwarded the email to senior Trump campaign officials Stephen Miller, Paul Manafort, and Rick Gates with the note, suggestion only. Manafort subsequently forwarded the email to his assistant and scheduled a meeting with Symes. Manafort was on the verge of leaving the campaign by the time the scheduled meeting with Symes, and Symes ended up meeting only with Kushner. During the August 17th meeting, Symes provided Kushner with Clinton-related information that he had promised. Symes told Kushner that... Redacted. Personal privacy. Symes claimed that he had received this information from former CIA and Reagan White House official Fritz Ermarth, who claimed to have learned it from U.S. intelligence sources, not from Russians. Symes perceived that Kushner did not find information to be of interest or use to the campaign because it was, in Symes' words, old news. When interviewed by the office, Kushner stated that he believed that there was little chance of something, being, something new being revealed about the Clintons, given their long career as public figures, and that he never received from Symes information that could be operationalized for the Trump campaign. Despite Kushner's reaction, Symes believed that he provided the same information at a small group meeting of foreign policy experts that CNI organized for sessions. Number 5. June 9, 2016 Meeting at Trump Tower On June 9, 2016, senior representatives of the Trump campaign met, with Trump, met at Trump Tower with a Russian attorney expecting to receive derogatory information about Hillary Clinton from the Russian government. The meeting was proposed to Donald Trump Jr. in an email from Robert Goldstone at the request of his then-client, Amin Agalarov, the son of Russian real estate developer Aras Agalarov. Goldstone relayed to Trump Jr. that the Crown Prosecutor of Russia offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia as part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump. Trump Jr. immediately responded that if it's what you say, I love it, and arranged the meeting through a series of emails and telephone calls. <laughs> oh my God! Trump Jr. invited campaign chairman Paul Manafort and senior advisor Jared Kushner to attend the meeting, and both attended. Members of the campaign discussed the meeting before it occurred, and Michael Cohen recalled that Trump Jr. may have told candidate Trump about an upcoming meeting to receive adverse information about Clinton without linking the meeting to Russia. According to written answers submitted by Trump, he has no recollection of learning that the meeting at the time and that the office found no documentary evidence showing that he was made aware of the meeting or its Russian connection before it occurred. The Russian attorney who spoke at the meeting, Natalia Veselinetskaya, had previously worked for the Russian government and maintained a relationship with that government throughout this period of time. She claimed that funds derived from illegal activities in Russia were provided to Hillary Clinton and other Democrats. Trump Jr. requested evidence to support those claims, but... Veselitnitskaya did not provide such information. She and her associates then turned to a critique of the origins of the Magitsky Act of 2012 statute that imposed financial and travel sanctions on Russian officials and that 
resulted in a retaliatory ban on adoptions of Russian children. Trump Jr. suggested that the issue could be revisited when and if candidate Trump was elected. After the election, the zealot Netskaya made additional efforts to follow up on the meeting, but the Trump transition team did not engage. A. Setting up the June 9th meeting. Outreach to Donald Trump. Araz Agarilov is a Russian real estate developer with ties to Putin and other members of the Russian government, including Russia's prosecutor general, Yuri Chaika. Araz Agarilov is the president of the Krakus Group, a Russian enterprise that holds substantial Russian information construction contracts and that, as discussed above in Volume 1, Section 4, worked with Trump in connection with the 2013 Miss Universe pageant in Moscow and a potential Trump-Moscow real estate project. The relationship continued over time as the parties pursued the Trump-Moscow project in 2013 to 2014 and exchanged gifts and letters in 2016. For example, in April 2016, Trump responded to a letter from Aras Agarilov with handwritten, a handwritten note. Aras Agarilov Agalarov, Agalarov, expressed interest in Trump's campaign, passed on congratulations for winning in the primary, and according to one email drafted by Goldstone, an offer of his support of that and many of his important Russian friends and colleagues, especially with reference to U.S.-Russian relations. On June 3, 2016, Amin Agalarov... (laughs) I, I can never say that. Like, it does not matter how many times this shows up in the report. I cannot say Agalarov. Aglarov. Aglarov. Okay. On June 3rd, 2016, Amin Aglarov called Goldstone Amin's then published. Goldstone is a music and events promoter who represented Amin Aglarov. From approximately late 2012 until late 2016. While representing Amin Aglarov, Goldstone facilitated an ongoing contact between the Trumps and the Aglarovs, including an invitation that Trump sent to Putin to attend the 2013 Miss Universe pageant in Moscow. Redacted Grand Jury. Goldstone understood. Redacted. A Russian political connection and Amin Aglarov indicated that the attorney was a prosecutor. Goldstone recalled that the information that might interest the Trumps involved Hillary Clinton. Redacted. Grand jury. Redacted. Grand jury. The. Redacted. Grand jury. Mentioned by Amin Aglarov was Natalia Veselinitskaya. From approximately 1998 until 2001, Veselinitskaya worked as a prosecutor for the Central Administrative District of the Russian Prosecutor's Office, and she continued to perform government-related work and maintain ties to the Russian government following her departure. She lobbied and testified about the Magnitsky Act, which imposed financial sanctions and travel restrictions on Russian officials and was 
and which was named for the Russian tax specialist who exposed a fraud and later died in a Russian prison. Putin called the statute a, a purely political, unfriendly act, and Russia responded by barring a list of current and former U.S. officials from entering Russia and by halting the adoption of Russian children by U.S. citizens. Veselnitskaya performed legal work for Denis Katsiev, the son of Russian businessman Peter Katsiev, and for his company, Prevezon Holdings Limited, which is a... <laughs> which is a defendant in a civil forfeiture action alleging the laundering of proceeds from the fraud exposed by Magnitsky. She also appears to have been involved in an April 2016 approach to a U.S. congressional delegation in Moscow, offering confidential information from the Prosecutor General of Russia about interactions between certain political forces in our two countries. Shortly after his June 3rd call to Amin Aglarov, Goldstone emailed Trump Jr. The email stated, Good morning. Amin just called and asked me to contact you with something very interesting. The Crown Prosecutor of Russia met with his father, Aras, this morning and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary in her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your daddy. He actually said your father. This is obviously very high level and sensitive information, but it's part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump. Helped along by Aras and Amin. What do you think is the best way to handle this information? And would you be able to speak with Amin about it directly? I can also send this info to your father via Rona. But it is ultra sensitive, so I wanted to make sure I sent it to you first. Best, Rob Goldstone. Within minutes of the email, Trump Jr. responded, emailing back. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. I'm going to go on the road for a moment, but perhaps I just speak to Amin first. Seems that we have some time, and if that's what you say, I love it. Especially later in the summer. Could we do a call first thing next week when I'm back? Goldstone conveyed to Trump Jr.'s interest to Amin Agalarov, Aglarov, emailing that Trump Jr. wants to speak personally on the issue. On June 6, 2016, Amin Aglarov asked Goldstone if there was any news, and Goldstone explained that Trump Jr. was likely still traveling for final elections, where Trump will be crowned as the official nominee. On the same day, Goldstone again emailed Trump Jr. and asked when Trump Jr. was free to talk to Amin about this Hillary info. Trump Jr. asked if they could speak now, and Goldstone arranged a call between Trump Jr. and Amin Aglarov. On June 6th and June 7th, Trump Jr. and Amin Aglarov had multiple brief calls. Also on June 6, 2016, R.S. Aglarov called Ike Kav Kavladze and asked him to attend the meeting in New York with the Trump administration. Kavladze is a Georgia-born naturalized U.S. citizen who worked in the United States for the Crocus Group and reported to R.S. Aglarov. Kavaladze told the office that in a second phone call on June 16, 2016, R.S. Aglarov asked Kavaladze if he knew anything about the Magnitsky Act, and R.S. sent him a very short synopsis for the meeting in Veselnitskaya's business card. According to Kavaladze, Kavaladze, 
Aris Aglarov said the purpose of the meeting was to discuss the Magnitsky Act, and he asked Kavladzi to translate. 2. Awareness of the meeting within the campaign. On June 7th, Goldstone emailed Trump Jr. and said that Amin asked that I schedule a meeting with you and the Russian government attorney who is flying over from Moscow. Trump Jr. replied that Manafort identified as the campaign boss. Jerry Kushner and Trump Jr. would likely attend. Goldstone was surprised to learn that Trump Jr., Manafort, and Kushner would attend. Kavalodsky Redacted. Grand jury. Puzzled by the list of attendees and that he checked with one of Amin Oglarov's assistants, Roman Benyanamanamanamavavavmanavav, who said that the purpose of the meeting was for Veslinetskaya to convey negative information on Hillary Clinton. Benyanamanamanamanav. However, say that he did not recall having known or said that. Early on June 8, 2016, Kushner emailed his assistant asking her to discuss a 3 p.m. meeting the following day with Trump Jr. Later that day, Trump Jr. forwarded the entirety of his email correspondence regarding the meeting with Goldstone to, a Manafort, to Manafort and Kushner under the subject line forward. Russia, Clinton, private and confidential. Adding that the no, adding that the meeting got moved to four tomorrow in my offices. Kushner then sent his assistant a second email informing her that the meeting with Don Jr. is four p.m. now, and Manafort responded, "See you then, P." Rick Gates, who was the deputy campaign chairman, stated during the interviews with the office that in the days before the June 9th, 2016, Trump Jr. announced at a regular morning meeting of senior campaign staff and Trump family members that he had a lead on negative information about the Clinton Foundation. Gates believed that Trump Jr. said the information was coming from a group in Kyrgyzstan and that he was introduced to the group by a friend. Gates recalled that the meeting was attended by Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Paul Manafort, Hope Hicks, and, joining late, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. According to Gates, Manafort warned the group that the meeting likely would not yield vital information and they should be careful. Hicks denied any knowledge of the June 9th meeting before 2017, and Kushner did not recall if he planned June 9th meeting came up at all earlier that week. Michael Cohen recalled being in Donald J. Trump's office on June 6th or 7th when Donald Trump Jr. told his father that a meeting to obtain adverse information about Clinton was going forward. Cohen did not recall Trump Jr. stating that the meeting was connected to Russia. From the tenor of the conversation, Cohen believed that Trump Jr. had previously discussed the meeting with his father, although Cohen was not involved in any such conversation. In an interview with the Senate Judiciary Committee, however, Trump Jr. said that he did not inform his father about the emails or the upcoming meeting. Similarly, neither Manafort nor Kushner recalled anybody informing candidate Trump of the meeting, including Trump Jr. President Trump has stated to this office, in written answers to questions, that he has no recollection of learning at the time that his son, Manafort, or Kushner was considering participating in a meeting in June 2016 concerning potentially negative information about Hillary Clinton. B. The events of June 9, 2016. 1. Arrangements for the meeting. 
Veselinitskaya was in New York on June 9, 2016 for appellate proceedings in the Prevazan civil forfeiture litigation. That day, Veselinitskaya called Renat Akmenitshin, a Soviet-born U.S. lobbyist, redacted grand jury. And when she learned that she was in New York, inviting him to lunch. Akmenshin, A-K-H-M-E-T-S-H-I-N, Akmetshin, Akmetshin told the office that he had worked on issues relating to the Magnitsky Act and had worked on the Prevazon litigation. Kvaldzi and Anatoly Samacharnov, a Russian-born translator who had assisted Vizilnetskaya with Magnitsky-related lobbying in the Prevazon case, also attended the lunch. Redacted. Grand jury. Vizilnetskaya said that she was meeting. Redacted. Grand jury. And asked... Akmenitshin, what she could tell him. According to several participants in the the lunch, Veselnitskaya showed Akmenitshin the document alleging financial misconduct by Bill Browder and Ziff Brothers, Americans with business in Russia, and those individuals subsequently making political donations to the DNC. Redacted. Grand Jury. The group then went to Trump Tower for the meeting. 2. Conduct of the meeting Trump Jr., Manafort, and Kushner participated in the Trump side, while Kavaldzi, Samachernamov, Achmenishin, and Goldstone attended with Veselnitskaya. Oh my god, I'm awful at this. The office spoke to every participant except Veselnitskaya and Trump Jr., the latter of whom declined to be voluntarily interviewed by the office. Redacted. Grand jury. The meeting lasted approximately 20 minutes. Redacted. Grand jury. Goldstone recalled that Trump Jr. invited Veselnitskaya to begin but did not say anything about the subject of the meeting. Participants agreed that Veselnitskaya stated that the Ziff brothers had broken Russian laws and had donated their profits to the DNC or the Clinton campaign. She asserted that the Ziff brothers had engaged in tax evasion and money laundering in both the United States and Russia. Redacted. Grand Jury. According to Akhmetshin, Trump Jr. asked follow-up questions about how the alleged payments um, could be tied specifically to the camp- Clinton campaign, but Veselnitskaya indicated that she could not trace the money once it entered the United States. Kavlodsky similarly recalled that Trump Jr. asked what they have on Clinton, and Kushner became aggravated and asked, What are we doing here? Akhmetshin then spoke about U.S. sanctions imposed under the Magnitsky Act and Russia's response prohibiting U.S. adoption of Russian children. Several participants recalled that Trump Jr. commented that Trump is a private citizen and there was nothing that they could do at that time. Trump Jr. also said that they could revisit the issue if and when they were in government. 
Notes that Manafort took on his phone reflect the general flow of the conversation, although not all of its details. At some point in the meeting, Kushner sent an iMessage to Manafort stating, Waste of time, followed immediately by two separate emails to assistants at Kushner's companies with requests that they call to give him an excuse to leave. Samachornov recalled that Kushner departed the meeting before it concluded. Veselnitskaya recalled the same when interviewed by the press in July 2017. Veselnitskaya's press interviews and written statements to Congress differ materially from other accounts. In a July 2017 press interview, Veselnitskaya claimed that she had no connection to the Russian government and had not referred to any derogatory information concerning the Clinton campaign when she met with Trump campaign officials. Veselnitskaya's November 2017 written submission to the Senate Judiciary Committee stated that the purpose of the June 9th meeting was not to connect with the Trump campaign, but rather to have a private meeting with Donald Trump Jr., a friend of a good acquaintance's son, on the matter of assisting her or her colleagues in informing the Congress members as to the criminal nature of manipulation and interference with the legislative activities of the U.S. Congress. In other words, Veselnitskaya claimed her focus was on Congress and not the campaign. No witness, however, recalled any reference to Congress during the meeting. Veselnitskaya also maintained that she attended the meeting as a lawyer of Denise Katsiv and previously mentioned owner of Prevazon Holdings, but she did not introduce herself in that capacity. In a July 2017 television interview, Trump Jr. stated that while he had no way to gauge the reliability, credibility, or accuracy of what Goldstone had stated um, was the purpose of the meeting, if someone has information on your opponent, maybe this is something I should hear them out. Trump Jr. further stated in September 2017 congressional testimony that he thought he should listen to what Rob and his colleagues had to say. Depending on what, if any, information was provided, Trump Jr. stated he would then consult with counsel to make an informed decision on whether to give it any further consideration. After the June 9th meeting concluded, Goldstone apologized to Trump Jr. According to Goldstone, he told Trump Jr. Redacted. Grand jury. And told Amin Aglarov in a phone call that the meeting was about adoption. Redacted. Grand jury. Redacted. Grand jury. R.S. Aglarov asked Kavaladze to report in after to report in after the meeting, but before Kavaladze could call, R.S. Aglarov called him. With Veselnitskaya next to him, Kavaladze reported that the meeting had gone well, but he later told R.S. Aglarov that the meeting had. That the meeting about the Magnitsky Act had been a waste of time because it was not with lawyers and they were preaching to the wrong crowd. C. Post June 9th events. Veselnitskaya and R.S. Aglarov made at least two unsuccessful attempts after the election to meet with Trump representatives to convey similar information about Browder and the Magnitsky Act. On November 23, 2016, Kavaladze emailed Goldstone about setting up another meeting with T people and sent a document bearing allegations similar to those conveyed on June 9th. Kavaladze 
followed up with Goldstone stating that Mr. A, which Goldstone understood to mean R.S. Oglarov. Can we just use that then, Robert Mueller? Because that would be a lot easier than having to continuously say Oglarov. Called to ask about the meeting. Goldstone emailed the document to Rona Graf, saying that R.S. Oglarov has asked me to pass on this document in the hope that it can be passed on to the appropriate team. If needed, a lawyer representing the case is in New York currently and happy to meet with any member of the transition team. According to Goldstone, around January 27th, Kavladze contacted him again to set up another meeting, but Goldstone did not make the request. The investigation did not identify evidence of the transition team following up. Participants of the June 9, 2016 meeting began receiving inquiries from attorneys representing the Trump Organization stating in approximately June 2017, starting in approximately June 2017. On approximately June 2, 2017, Goldstone spoke with Alan Garten, general counsel of the Trump Organization, about his participation in the June 9th meeting. The same day, Goldstone emailed Veselnitskaya's name to Garten identifying her as the woman who was the attorney who spoke at the meeting from Moscow. Later, in June 2017, Goldstone participated in a lengthier call with Garten and Alan Futarfus, Futarfus, outside counsel for the Trump Organization and subsequently personal counsel for Donald Trump Jr. On June 27, 2016, Goldstone emailed Amin Oglarov with the subject, Trump Attorneys, and stated that he was interviewed by attorneys about the June 9th meeting who were concerned because it links Don Jr. to officials from Russia, which he has always denied meeting. Goldstone stressed that he did not say at the time that this was an awful idea in a terrible meeting. Amin Aglarov sent a screenshot of the message to Kavlazadi. Kavladze. Kavladze! <laughs> the June 9th meeting became public in July 2017. In a July 9th, 2017 text message to Amin Oglarov, Goldstone wrote, I made sure I kept you and your father out of this story. And, if contacted, I can do a dance and keep you out of it. Goldstone added, FBI now investigating, and I hope this favor was worth it for your dad. It could blow up. On July 12, 2017, Amin Oglarov complained to Kavladze that his father, Aris, never listens to him and that their relationship with Mr. T has been thrown down the drain. The next month, Goldstone commented to Amin Oglarov about the volume of publicity the June 9th meeting had generated, stating that his reputation was basically destroyed by this dumb meeting which your father insisted on, even though Ike and me told him that it would be bad news and not to do. Goldstone added, I am not able to respond out of courtesy to you or your father, so I'm painted as some mysterious link to Putin. After public reporting on the June 9th meeting began, representatives from the Trump Organization again reached out to participants. On July 10th, 2017, Futurfus sent Goldstone uh, an email with a proposed statement for Goldstone to issue, which read, As the person who arranged the meeting, I can definitely state that the statements I have read by Donald Trump Jr. are 100% accurate. 
The meeting was a complete waste of time, and Don Jr. was never told Ms. Veselnitskaya's name prior to the meeting. Ms. Veselnitskaya mostly talked about the Magnitsky Act and Russian adoption laws, and the meeting listed 20, lasted 20 to 30 minutes at most. There was never any follow-up, and nothing ever came of the meeting. Redacted. Grand jury. The statement drafted by Trump Organization representatives was... Redacted. Grand jury. He proposed a different statement, asserting that he had been asked by his client in Moscow, Amin Oglarov, to facilitate a meeting between a Russian attorney, Natalia Velzinetskaya, and Donald Trump Jr. The lawyer had apparently stated that she had some information regarding funding to the DNC from Russia, which she believed Mr. Trump Jr. might find interesting. Goldstone never released either statement. On the Russian end, there were also some communications about what participants should say about the June 9th meeting, specifically the organization that hired Semachinarov, an anti-Magnitsky Act group controlled by Veselnitskaya and the owner of Prevazon, offered to pay $90,000 to Semachinarov's legal fees. At Veselnitskaya's request, the organization sent Semachinarov a transcript of a Veselnitskaya press release and Semenarachernov <laughs> understood that the organization would pay his legal fees only if he made statements consistent with Veselnitskaya's. Semenarachernov declined, telling the office that he did not want to perjure himself. The individual who conveyed Veselnitskaya's request to Semenarachernov stated that he did not expressly condition payment on following Veselnitskaya's answers, but in hindsight recognized that by sending the transcript, Semenachnov may not have interpreted the offer of assistance to be conditioned on his not contradicting Veselnitskaya's account. Volume 2, Section 2G discusses interactions between President Trump, Trump Jr., and others in June and July of 2017 regarding the June 9th meeting. This is the end of Part 3 of Pod Bless Robert Mueller, a, a translation for Texans. Um, I will be beginning Part 4 um, right after this. Um, it, we will pick up in Article 4, Section 6, entitled Events at the Republican National Convention. Pod Bless Robert Mueller is a special series podcast brought to you by the makers of Pod Bless Texas, presented by Kendall Scudder and Lillian Salerno. Music